Well, hello and welcome back to Earth Like Heaven. My name is Doug Ressler and joining me as always is Robbie Sherry and we are here to help you close the gap between heaven and earth in your life by learning to live like Jesus. Another season of podcasts here, Robbie, and uh, pretty exciting uh, this spring. We're going to be talking all about identity. So what is the first thing that comes to mind? You work with students. Students are struggling with their identities. We know that in our world. They're struggling all over the place. And it's having, I mean, significant impact on their mental health and lots of very serious stuff. But like what's, uh, you know, as as you're interacting with students on a regular basis or families on a regular basis, what's your sense? You know, what, what, what do you think is at the root of some of that? Well, two things. I think the sense of identity has shifted over the years since I've been teaching. It used to be you wanted to be affiliated with a group, Mm. uh, a group identity, because that categorically sort of puts you within other people whose reputation they could ride. So people introduce themselves to you and you'd say, oh, tell me about yourself. And they'd say, well, I'm an athlete. Mm. I'm a, when when you go back to high school circles, if you think about high school circles, the the first answer to that question is what group you sort of roll with. But more and more, it seems to be a push for, for self. Mm-hmm. Uh, individual identity, mm, okay. less. That's, so that's less been a pretty significant group. shift then. Yeah, in terms yeah. of, I think young people want to have their accomplishments for themselves. Yeah. So whether it's they, I mean, I have students come in and tell me they've gotten a solo victory in a particular video game or something. And it's wow. important that it's them. Oh, that yeah. it's not no, you know, no. my team or something like this. Or I get told that they're performing they're the lead in the mm-hmm. play mm-hmm. it's not that they're in drama they're the lead mm-hmm. in it and that i should go see gotcha him or her gotcha um, so it, it just seems to be less of a affiliation with a group mm-hmm. and more of a you should you should pay attention to me the individual that's interesting and and it and where they're drawing their identity from it sounds like is different right rather than drawing your identity from the group like hey i'm an athlete so therefore I'm part of this like bigger, bigger thing. It's I've accomplished something Mm -hmm. or I have, you know, and so that it's really become, like you said, an individualized, uh, individualized deal. You said you had a couple things. So what what, what are some other things that you think about when you think about identity? Oh, I think of exactly what you just said. Accomplishment. I think of students wanting to, there's also a a desire for uniqueness. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. Kind of a create your own adventure approach yeah. to life. Like I should be kind of in charge of shaping my own identity mm-hmm. according to whatever I want at right. any given moment in time or writer. I remember students used to say I'm into computers mm-hmm. and that was the generic like, oh, okay. Categorically you're the computer kid, but that's, right. that's too broad now. Right. You've got to be, you code a particular kind, you know, I, I code apps oh, gotcha. and you go, Oh, it's very specific. Right. And it's very, and the idea is to find something that nobody else yeah. does or does as well. Right. 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 Do you think at the root of that, there is a desire for like attention? Like this is how they're finding. I mean, obviously there would, there would be some sense of like, this is how they're finding value, self-worth, some of those kinds of things. I mean, I wonder if it's a, a pushback against the, everybody gets a trophy generation. Hmm. That's, that's oh, one that's thing that I've wondered, yeah, that if yeah. in response to... Kind of everybody being the same. Right. Like homogenizing kind of the crowd. Now it's yeah. about finding your uh, own thing so that interesting. you get your own trophy. <laughs> you know, for, right. I mean, that's speculation on my right. part, but there, there very much is a desire for n- niches mm-hmm. within our social constructs to go, I'm... I'm, you, you probably haven't met somebody like me. Right. You're kind of one of one. 
right. rather than like one of many. Mm-hmm. And so the goal isn't so much to, I'm going to be first place among a group of competitors or whatever it might be. Instead, no, I'm just going to be one of one. Right. And, uh, and that, you know, that goes to the heart of like things like uh, intersectionality, right? Mm-hmm. Theories of intersectionality they talk about where like you, you sort of have this intersection of identities and the more intersections you have, the more whatever social power or influence you are right. given or whatever it might be, right? Um, you know, that goes to the heart of that. It goes to the heart of, of, you know, so many other things. But, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that, you know, obviously, this again, this generation has, seems to have a desperate, uh, they're in a desperate search for identity. When I say right. desperate, I'm using that word intentionally because the mental health of this particular generation of young people is, and it's not just young people, of course, it's impacting older people as well, but it is, I mean, it's, it's off the charts, statistically an, a complete anomaly in history in terms of levels of anxiety and, and, and all of these things, the inability to process sort of difficult challenges of life, the, just the everyday stuff that takes place in a person's life, disappointments, all kinds of things. Everybody has their theories as to why this is and what this right. is all about and why it is as a result of, of that anxiety um, so many young people are, I'm sorry, of all that, yeah, of all that anxiety, so many young people are searching for identity mm-hmm. as a way to kind of ground themselves, like almost like a grounding exercise, like you would do in therapy or counseling or right. something like that, to put you in touch with reality. Um, I read a book years ago by my name, Craig Barnes, and it was, um, it was called um, Search for Home or something like that. And, mm-hmm. and his, this was like way before, I mean, this is like 25, 30 years ago, actually. And what he was, what he was suggesting in the book was that, the fact that we are now one, most of us are now two or three generations removed from like the family home. Correct. You know, and again, here we're talking about in a particular, we're talking about, if you look at particular sort of historical streams, we're really talking about sort of more of the Caucasian community, right? That sort of settled America, established these homesteads in different places all over the, all over the continent, all over the country, and your family, once they established themselves, they stayed rooted in that place right. for generations. And as a result of that, you you were born into a story that was unfolding. It was a much bigger story than you, but you, you had a connection to that story, like a physical, tangible connection. And even if you moved away from the farm, so to speak, <laughs> you could kind of point back and say, yeah, but but that's home. Like, that's where my family comes from. And, and a lot of folks are now two and three generations removed from that. The family farm has been sold. They don't have a sense of that kind of rootedness. Yeah, Searching for Home, uh, Spirituality for Restless Souls by Craig Barnes. That's it. And, um, and it, it, there's a sense of like they've lost that sense of rootedness. Now, again, I, you know, African-Americans, that rootedness was stolen from them, right? Because right? they, were, they were literally, you know, ripped from their tribes, ripped from their ancestral the homes and identities and all that kind of stuff, given new identities when they got to America, new names. It was almost like a race, a race history. Which, mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't almost if it was, it was the erasure of their history in order to kind of create a new identity, a new thing here. And that's one of the reasons why so many African-Americans that I know struggle with this as well. They, mm-hmm. they, they, they have this longing for this connection back to where they came from, but because that connection was severed so violently, they're often not able to 
I mean, some of them can work their way back, but they're often not able to do so. I think this is one of the reasons why you've seen like an explosion in like, you know, genealogical research and what is it like ancestor ancestry.com yeah, ancestry and like how popular that is and all of those kinds of things, why people are longing to be connected to a, a story larger than themselves that will root them and give them a sense of identity of, you know. Right. How oh, else yeah. are you going to yeah. convince someone to take a cotton swab that's been mailed to them, swipe right. their cheek, drop yes. it in an envelope right. and right. mail totally. it back? Exactly. Exactly. For nine ninety nine or whatever. Yeah, whatever it is, right? And then they get they find out who they're connected to. Correct. And of course, everybody wants to be connected to someone famous right. or infamous, as the case may be. Oh, Blackbeard the Pirate was like my great, great, great grandfather. You know, that kind of stuff. That was your example, Blackbeard the Pirate. Well, really, I mean, you think you know, people out I, there are hoping for the black maybe connection. not maybe not you know i just remember as a kid my grandma and grandpa were like super into this and they went over to europe and they did all this research and there was like this like small minute chance we were going to be related to charlemagne oh nice yeah and i was like in sixth grade you know and i come into class and you know i don't know we we're talking about something and i remember them i remember saying like hey hey like I might be related to Charlemagne and everybody's looking at me like nerd alert. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Who cares? No one even knows who that is in sixth grade. I'm like, wait a minute. He's famous. That means I'm famous too. Anyway, whatever, you know, um, in our family, it's really interesting. So there was, um, in my wife's side of her family, there's sort of like, you know, you have these like family legends. Oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? And all of, a lot of families have them. And we've got them. And and, in my wife's family, there was this, idea or, or thought that potentially at some point in time, Native American blood had entered sort of the family tree. You know, a, someone, an ancestor had married someone or whatever it might be. And, and so there was this sense of like, yeah, like we might have Native American blood or whatever. And I remember like my oldest daughter really latching onto that. And, wow. and, and she did the cotton swab thing and, <laughs> you know, the whole thing back when we did all that. And no Native American blood. Oh, and she was so bummer. disappointed, right, man. Right. I mean, she was so hoping, right, to right. be connected to this story, right? And Did you say good news? So, Your great, great, great grandfather was a blackbeard? No, I did not. I did not say you're, you're related to pirate? blackbeard. You're, yeah, you're part pirate. You're one 128th yeah, yeah, no. pirate. Uh, no, I mean... The funny thing was that we were part Neanderthal. Yeah, like, yeah, it's like yeah. like less than one percent Neanderthal. Like every you know, a lot of human beings have that. Anyway, whatever. It's you know, you can cut that, Jake. But whatever. Uh, <laughs> the point being that, like, we all want to be rooted in, I think, in a story. Yes. And and the interesting thing about this t- period of time is that it's like everybody wants to, like you said, create their own story. As opposed to as opposed inherit. to an inherited story right. or a broader story, um, there's it's this hyper individualization, and of course, if that's part of the problem, because if if you're not connected to a story that's bigger than you, then it's a pretty lonely story. Mm-hmm. And we know that God says it's not good for human beings to be alone, even in our own stories. I don't think it's good for us to yeah. be alone, and I think that's one of the reasons why it gives rise to that anxiety and those you know, suicidal ideation, all the different struggles that people have. I also think it's why, and we'll talk about this in future episodes, why we are seem to be on like this eternal search for other identities outside of just us. Because I don't, I mm-hmm. think we all, like maybe we're young, we think, oh, this will be good. I, but then we find out at some point in time along the way, it's not sustainable. Right. And then we start to go on this search for where can I root myself? Where can I ground myself? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you, as you, as you work with students, cause you work with students freshman year to senior. Yep. Like, do you see, uh, do you see that happen over those four years or maybe after they graduated and they come back and they're sharing, you, you can start to see like, Oh, their, their push for like hyper individualization, hyper individualization has kind of run out on them. 
And now they're pushing beyond that to try and connect to a larger story yeah. uh, with a different group or whatever it might that's, be. That's why I think the there's been a proliferation of participation in fraternities and sororities. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. For that exact reason. Yeah, right. It's... And probably of, a lot of your students do go on to fraternities and sororities mm-hmm. in college. They don't just go to college. They, they join the fraternities and sororities Absolutely. and those kinds of things. Absolutely. And it's, it's so interesting to have the conversation with them because in, I mean, look at the social groups in elementary school. Mm-hmm. You get the, everybody's just so excited to be at school and they want to please the teacher. And they, right. uh, you find out who's good at handball, who's good in the art section of class, who can play soprano in the kazoo band or whatever it is. Everybody's got their, you know, thing. The soprano kid that, in the kazoo band. Whatever. They go off to the other classes for math because they're smarter. <laughs> but then middle school happens and there's the sort of, you know, the, the boys who are bigger become more popular and all this. And then they're, you're right back at the bottom of the social ladder when it comes to high school. Mm-hmm. Right. And you see everybody jockeying for a position and it's like senior year, they kind of feel like they've got it figured out. Right. And then it, it's a reboot all right. over again in college, right. Right. but it's so such a bigger ecosystem. They don't know, nobody knows them. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's, they're afraid of that. So they go fraternity, sorority, group identity. Mm-hmm. So it's this weird shift. Right, right. And suddenly, yeah, no, I want to be a Kappa Sig yeah. rather than sure. I'm the only guy at the school who can, you know, play this instrument or do this mm-hmm. thing or whatever. So mm-hmm. That's what I've noticed. Yeah, anyway. it's yeah, it's it's really interesting. And then of course social media um, just sort of exacerbates this. And on some level, social media maybe even perpetuates this idea that you can just be an island unto yourself, mm-hmm. right? And make a lot of money and make a lot of money. Yeah, just you know, you, the goal would be to get gain followers and all of these other things. I know a lot isn't of that funny people too? are really obsessed with followings, but they. They don't see themselves as part of the following. Right. They're kind of above the following. That's what I right? mean, yeah. Is that right? Is that what you were going to say? Yeah, say? Yeah, I mean, so in, interesting. in this effort for like self-individualization, the actual goal is that you have a lot of followers. Right. And so you are sort of affiliated with a group, right. but you don't see yourself as a That's part right. of that group. That's right. They're group you're, B's. Right. And you're like... The grouper. Whatever they are. The grouper? <laughs> Sounds like a fish. That's a, that's a fish, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Hey. <laughs> well, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, it's... Uh, I watch as especially, you know, you see a lot, of, it, you're seeing it more and more in ministry um, in my world, right? So in my, in my world, right, you have, it, obviously, you're, you're to some extent paid to be a public figure, right? You have a public profile as a You're pastor. a public figure, Doug. You know, yeah, right. Um, famous. Yeah, yeah, famous. Infamous. Um, anyway, I'm the black beard. You're the black pastors. beard of pastors. Yes. So anyway. Um, <laughs> Jake's making notes. Cut, cut, cut. Yeah, that's cut. right. That's anyway. right. Um, yeah, the uh, no. There's a sense of like you. You know, you're signing up for a very public life. Yep. If nothing else, even if you serve like a small church out in like some rural town, you know, in some part of America, right, um, where there is no social media or whatever. I mean, that's not a big thing in your town or whatever. It's still. It doesn't matter. In that town. You are a public figure, right? You your mentioned that a few is, weeks ago with yeah, your vows. That's right. That you knew that you were stepping into this. Correct. Your life is on display. It's going to be. You're going to be a little bit in the fishbowl. You just mm-hmm. said you understand that all that kind of stuff. Well, now of course, especially the younger sort of a younger generation of ministers and pastors have taken that, and then they have taken their their life, which is already public, even in their local setting, and they've sort of blown it up to a global maybe even a global scale, depending mm-hmm. on like how far their reach goes. Cause social media goes around the globe. There's right. like, 
I don't know how many people are on Facebook. It's got to be like north of a billion. I, I was going to say at least a hundred. <laughs> at least a hundred people. I don't know how many people are on I Facebook, mean, but at least a hundred. At least a hundred. Yeah, yeah, that's my yeah. safe. I bet. mean, it's like it's, and so you think about wow the the reach now, and so then so then that that puts you out, sort of makes you this global presence, and then of course it invites all of the attention that comes along with that, right, good, bad, right. or otherwise, right? And so what ends up happening, right, is that the very students that want to have this like more public profile, it's not just students, it's other people as well, but the very people that want this public profile, that want this sort of like big reach, big audience, big following, what have you, um, what ends up happening, of course, is they get a lot of negative feedback. Right. And that ends up just creating a vicious cycle for them because the bigger their reach, the more negative the fee- more the more negative feedback they're exposed to, which then again impacts their mental health and impacts their how they think about themselves and all those kinds of things. And so, what do they do? They seek for an even bigger reach, right? On the, with the hope of getting more likes, more followers to sort of build their ego up, which again only invites more negativity. And you know, I mean, we just get caught in these vicious cycles as we are again trying to root and ground ourselves in some kind of reality mm-hmm. and some kind of identity that will really just sh- just shape and form us and provide like an anchor, you know, in yeah. this life. Otherwise, we're just going to drift about not knowing what's going to happen. And so I see that all the time in adults too, by the way. I was going to say, it's, yeah. not, it's not age no. specific uh-huh. necessarily. I, I think right. of, you know, my wife and I, are, our, our youngest child is going to be graduating high school and the world is called this phase the empty nest phase that's right that's right and when you've been a parent for most of your married life like Mm -hmm. all of a sudden i think people struggle with well i mean that's how you make a lot of friendships is that your kids activities and whatnot so now you sit there and go well who am i right because you used to say you'd identify yourself by saying i'm chloe's dad right or i'm josiah's dad or whoever it might be and now you don't sort of have that that introduction so if you're no longer, if your primary responsibility is no longer, you know, taking care of the basic needs of your children, who are you? That's right. So you've got that at, at one end or once mm-hmm. you're, a, you know, you're retired. I see a lot of retirees yeah. kind right. of go, oh, well, yeah. now I no longer now have my job title right. to identify myself as. So, I'm, so you hear a lot of retirees say, uh, well, I'm a retired electrician. Right. They, they're still clinging to that identity That's because right. they don't know how to sort of label themselves without their profession. And, mm-hmm. and on the other end, you've got the, the kid who's maybe not in college, who's 22 or something like that. And right. people say, well, who are you? What do you, you right. know, uh, and they have to come up with these things like, well, I'm in a gap year or I'm, I'm right. doing this or we're trying to, we're trying to find things at various stages of our lives to cling to, to right. say, this is, this will give you a better idea of who I am. So it's, and I go back to what you were saying with, with early people groups. Right. It was like, if you're the carpenter in the town, right. your kid's going to be the carpenter That's and right. he's going to do it until he has a kid who's going to be the carpenter. And so your, your identity is always rooted in oh. your family. And this is just, this is what you do. And you don't have to worry about different stages and losing one identity and clinging to another. It's, we've made it more complex. Well, we have, and we also live in a world where there's a lot more choices. Mm-hmm. We do. I mean, then there's some benefits to that. Again, there's benefits that come with the freedoms that we have, whether those freedoms are afforded to us because of the country that we live in, or they're afforded to us because of the economic level that we live at, mm-hmm. or, or um, you know, your whatever it might be, whatever whatever the privilege that you enjoy, and we all have 
differing levels of privilege depending upon, again, economics or ethnicity or, you know, educational level or whatever it might be, right? Whatever, whatever, whatever opportunities that that opens for you, that creates a whole new, a whole set of choices, a whole range of choices that for most of humanity, for most of history has not been available. Correct. Right. Like you said, if, if my family, if my dad was the carpenter in town, I would be the carpenter. There's no question about what I would do. I don't, that's not even a question I'm asking. Like, I'm just, I'm going to be the carpenter like right. him. I'm going to learn. He's going to teach me. And then I'm going to do, I'm going to do it until my kids get you know old enough or whatever. And that's just how it worked out. And not only that, there was never any sense of like, I'm going to move out of this town. I'm right. going to go away somewhere. I'm going to go do this. I'm never going to be back home. Like, no, no. Like my whole life is going to be lived within X number of miles of this particular <laughs> exactly. location. And, and I'll, ne- and everything I need is within Yep. That little radius or whatever of, of that town, my church or my, my religious community, again, depending if you look at it globally, my religious community, my food sources, my educational sources, my family, so like all of that is there. Right. And I'm not going to go outside of that. Now, that, that people that grow up in that kind of environment, that the range of options open to them are a lot, a lot fewer. Right. And that has its benefits as well as its drawbacks, right? I mean, and so that's the, that is really the, the interesting thing. So to tie, t- t- tag back to say, okay, so maybe Craig Barnes is right. Maybe it is the fact that we're now two or three generations or four generations removed from the family homestead, right? Maybe he's right. Maybe it's social media influence and the, the rise of sort of hyper-individualism. I mean, there's all kinds of theories as to why, why is it that people seem so obsessed with identity these days and particularly younger people. Mm -hmm. Why is that? I I mean, everybody's sort of obsessed with it on some level. It's just that older people tend to have landed somewhere. Like you said, my profession is my identity. My family, my marriage is my identity. My economic level is my identity. Whatever my, my sexuality may be my identity, whatever it might be, my politics. And we'll talk about some of those things. The older folks tend to have landed somewhere. The young people are still trying to figure out where they're going to land, which is why it's such a crisis at that young stage. So all of that, Yes, yes to all of that. That's we're just sort of we're offering that as a given. Okay. Now, with that being said, let's pivot to talk about our identity in Christ. How does our identity in Christ provide an answer that the other identities that may be out there as an option for people in the world don't? I think it comes down to parts of speech okay i think we've used christian as an adjective Mm. so we say i am a christian carpenter okay yeah so the modifier is of carpenter gotcha so the carpenter is the the more important element oh i got you i see what you're saying so carpenter would be my identity christian would be the modifier correct as opposed to saying right i'm a carpentering christian no. Oh, yeah, right. Like you know carpenter what I'm is like what I do. Right. Christian is who, is who I am. am. Yeah, yeah, modify. Right, I mean, right. I, it's silly. No, it's not silly. I mean, yeah. Our identity in Christ seems mm-hmm. to take a back seat yeah. to our, identi- our identities placed elsewhere because yeah. I think we're afraid of offending people. We're afraid of being boxed yeah. into an identity because I can't control somebody else's perception of, sure. Uh, you know, when I meet them, if I say, uh, I'm... I teach the Bible at a Christian school. There's an instant right. value assessment right there mm-hmm. of my character and who, you know, based on some earlier encounter this person's had right. with that. So we, we rarely lead with that. 
And so by default, we sort of, I think we tend to push our faith into a secondary identifier Mm -hmm. as opposed to a primary identifier. And yet, like most of what Jesus teaches, it's backwards, you know? And you go, no, I think if your identity is in Christ, then then the things that you do or you're affiliated mm-hmm. with become secondary. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It's interesting. This morning I got a, uh, a text from, from some friends who are currently on a, on a mission trip over in Africa. They're working with some of our church planners over in uh, the Horn of Africa, Ethiopia, and Uganda, and South Sudan. They sent me a, a picture of a Muslim imam who has, uh, has come to faith in Jesus Christ, and um, he is in uh, northern Ethiopia, and for, and for the last couple of years has been serving undercover as a pastor, wow. right? He came to faith and he's serving undercover. Is he still sort of an imam like in the public, but he's like, I, I guess, I, I, I don't know his whole story. They just sent wow. me this, this, they, they sent me the picture and a little, just a snippet of his story. Right. Yeah. So he's been undercover as a Muslim imam. Uh, and for those who don't know what a Muslim imam is, that's like a Muslim pastor. They're right. the leader of a religious community in, in Islam. And so, so he's been serving in that capacity, comes to faith. He's been serving undercover. Well, he's, he's been so effective at leading people to Christ that now he's been outed. Oh, So he's been discovered, right? right? And he's under extreme persecution, and he's had to go public because he doesn't have any choice at this point. Um, he's been kicked out of the mosque, life-threatened, you mm-hmm. know, all those kinds of things, because he has chosen Christianity as his identity. He's chosen Christ as his identity over and against Islam, mm-hmm. right? And it's resulted in all of this, this ripple effect into his life, all of these things taking place because Christi, Christian for him is not just an adjective. Right. It is a noun. Mm-hmm. It is now who he is. Yeah. And so um, anyway, so he, you know, he, he is publicly coming now to our meetings and joining wow. hands with us and all of these things, even though it's so costly for him. And I just was thinking to myself, man, like here's a guy whose fundamental identity has radically shifted. And, and as a result, all these negative consequences have taken place in his life. And yet he's much like the apostle Paul, right? I consider all things lost for the sake yeah. of knowing Christ. Right. I mean, that sense in which like, you know, this is who I am. And I, and I think there's something um, and we'll, we can, again, pick this up in the next episode. I think there's something profoundly durable about a Christian identity that, I, yeah. that, that, that the, again, other identities in this world just don't have the same durability, the same sustaining power, the same, you know, and I, of course we all know there's, you know, I'm sure we have all kinds of thoughts as to why that is, but I'm just saying, I think there's something profoundly durable about the Christian identity that again, roots us and grounds us in something eternal. And that's why it has uh, such staying power in a, in a person's life. And that's not to say that people, you don't have questions if you're a Christian or you don't have doubts, or you don't have fears or anxieties. Of course you do. We're all human beings, but there's just, it's, it's, there's just something about it that, that just Dicks, mm-hmm. you know, and and even um even even people I know that have sort of left the faith or abandoned the faith or chucked the faith along the way, they're still they're almost like haunted by it, oh, yeah. because there's something that just sticks, you know. I had a, an atheist friend of mine tell me one time he's like, you know, Doug, he goes, um, I I miss Jesus, mm-hmm. and I was like, you miss him? I was like, you you like gave up your faith years and years and years ago, and he's like, yeah. But, you know, like around Christmas yeah, and around Easter, I think about him a lot. 
Isn't it funny? I mean, yeah. even the Catholic Church has a term for that in terms of people say, well, I'm a non-practicing Catholic. Mm-hmm. Like they're still wanting the right. rootedness and right. identity that comes with their with faith. With Catholic, yeah. But they're when they say that, mm-hmm. there's sort of this, well, maybe someday I'll come back yeah. around. To right. But, but right yeah. now... It's yeah. sort of backburnered, but they don't want to lose that. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think there's a lot to that. And you see that, of course, in other other spheres of life as well, or other spheres of, you know, with even within other spheres of religion. I mean, yeah, I mean, I know many Muslims who are sort of cultural Muslims. Right. You know, or you can be yeah. Jewish yeah. And, not, yeah. and not be religious at all, right? Totally. You can Culturally be Christian Jewish. and not be religious at all, though, by the way. Like, I lived in the South, and there's like a cultural Christianity that, oh, yeah. that isn't Bible really though, right? built on faith and some of these kinds of things. And so, again, there's just something about it that, um, yeah, there's something about it that profoundly roots you and grounds you and, and makes you sort of creates a longing. Mm-hmm. And so we'll, we'll come back on the next episode. We'll talk further about why that is, and then we'll get into, in future episodes, like, I think the different subcategories, right, that people like lean into. So a political identity or a sexual identity or a social identity or, you know, whatever it might be. There are these sub sort categories within this broader view of identity that we'll dive into uh, in the in the weeks ahead and um, in the episodes ahead. And so thanks as always to Jake and Billy, our guys who make us sound so good. Please keep listening as we dive deeper in the weeks ahead into what it means to follow Jesus, find our identity in Jesus. We love your comments, of course. Love your questions. Love your reviews on whatever platform you choose to listen. Subscribe and stay tuned as we release more episodes again in the coming weeks. We'll talk to you next time.